إن الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا ومن سيئات أعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له وأشهد أن محمدا عبده ورسوله أما بعد باب ما جاء في الذبح لغير الله the chapter regarding what has been mentioned in terms of slaughtering for other than the sake of Allah. The chapter regarding what has been mentioned in terms of slaughtering for other than the sake of Allah. It should be known that slaughtering is of two types you could say. You could say that there is a slaughtering which is dhabhul adah and there is one which is dhabhul ibadah. The slaughtering of habit, what you would typically slaughter, for example, somebody comes to you as a guest, so you slaughter something for them. You slaughter, meaning you slaughter an animal to feed them and to provide them food. So that would be like a habitual type of slaughtering that the people they engage in every now and again. Somebody comes to them, so they slaughter something in order to provide a meal and to entertain their guest, as an example. The slaughtering of worship, then this type of slaughtering is of three categories. The slaughtering of worship. There is a legislated slaughtering and that is, for example, on the day of Eid that has just gone by. On that day, it is legislated to slaughter. There is the innovated slaughtering, which is the second type of the slaughtering of worship. The innovated slaughtering, and that is to slaughter in a place that it is not legislated to slaughter in, for example... To slaughter in a place where it is not legislated to slaughter, for example, slaughtering next to a grave of someone. The third type of slaughtering of worship is that which can be shirk. And that is the slaughtering that a person does for other than the sake of Allah, desiring closeness to an angel or to some other person desiring closeness to someone else besides Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with that slaughtering. So this slaughtering of worship is three types. One which is legislated, for example like the day of Eid now, Eid al-Adha. One which is innovated, for example slaughtering in a place that it is not legislated to slaughter at, for example at the graves. And thirdly, the shirki type of slaughtering, and that is if a person intends by closeness to other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Slaughtering, therefore, we know it is an act of worship. Slaughtering is an act of worship. Slaughtering an animal, it is an act of worship. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentioned in the Qur'an, قُلْ إِنَّ صَلَاتِي وَنُسُكِي وَمَحْيَايَ وَمَمَاتِي لِلَّهِ رَبِّ الْعَالَمِينَ 
that say, indeed, my prayer and my worship, or here, my slaughtering and my living and my dying, are for Allah, the Lord of the worlds, the Lord of everything. In this ayah, it affirms, قُلْ إِنَّ صَلَاتِي Say that indeed, my prayer, وَنُسُكِي And my slaughtering, وَمَحْيَايَ And my living, وَمَمَاتِي And my dying, لِلَّهِ رَبِّ الْعَالَمِينَ All of those are for Allah. So in amongst the prayer, the living, the dying, all of this, is the slaughtering which is mentioned as well. That indeed the slaughtering is for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So in this ayah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala commands the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam to announce to the people, to announce to the people, and this is something which is applicable to every person, even after the Prophet sallallahu to all of us up until the day of judgment. This what is announced in this particular ayah, what is mentioned in this particular ayah, then it is applicable to all of us, all of us up until the day of judgment. So what is mentioned in this ayah? Firstly that, inna salati, that indeed my prayer, my prayer it is for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That is the obligatory prayer and the supererogatory prayer, the fard and the nafal. The supererogatory, the nafal and the fard, the obligatory, all types of your prayer, every prayer then it is for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone. Prayer or salah, linguistically in Arabic means dua. Prayer or salah, in Arabic salah means dua. Because the prayer is a dua. But it is a specific type of dua. Because there are specific actions that you have to do, and specific supplications that you have to recite in a specific way. Starting with the takbir, Allahu Akbar, ending with the taslim, assalamu alaikum. So this is a particular specific type of dua. Otherwise it is just a dua. The salah is a dua. But it's a particular specific type of dua done in a particular specific type of way. So all of this prayer, it is for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, whether it is the obligatory or it is the supererogatory. And we know that the prayer, it is the greatest act of physical worship. The worship that you do with your body, the physical worships, then the prayer is the greatest act of those worships. It is the greatest of the worships of your body. Because the prayer, it includes within it various different forms of worship. The prayer includes within it Various different forms of worship. So there is worship of the heart within the prayer. The khushu' that is in your heart during the prayer. There is worship of the tongue within the prayer. The supplications and the du'as that you read. And there is worship of the body in the prayer. The physical movements of the ruku' and the sujood and the sitting etc. So there are various forms of worship that all come together in the prayer. In the heart, upon the tongue, upon the limbs, 
various forms of worship, they all come together in this prayer. And that is why it is mentioned that it is from the greatest acts of the physical worships and obediences that a person can do. So here it says in the ayah, Inna salati, that indeed my prayer, wa nusuki, and my slaughtering. The nusuk, it can mean worship generally. But in particular here, then it means slaughtering. What is slaughtered from the sheep or the cattle or the camels, etc. What is slaughtered for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So this slaughtering, it is for the sake of Allah. What you slaughter, seeking closeness to Allah via that slaughtering. For example, now on the day of Eid, Eid al-Adha, the people they slaughtered as an act of worship, seeking closeness to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, through that act of slaughtering and then distributing that meat, then it is in implementation of the sunnah and seeking closeness to Allah through that act of slaughtering on that day. And this is something which was the act of slaughtering, it was something which was present in the time of Jahiliyyah too. It was something which was present at the time of Jahiliyyah, that the mushrikeen they used to slaughter. But obviously when they used to slaughter, they used to slaughter seeking closeness not to Allah, but seeking closeness to their idols, and seeking closeness to the jinn. They used to slaughter, seeking closeness to the idols, seeking closeness to the jinn, seeking closeness to the stars that they worshipped, to various forms and deities that they believed in besides Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they used to slaughter for them, and they used to seek closeness to these deities of theirs, these false deities, through this slaughtering that they would put forth for those false deities. فَالنَّبِيُّ صَلَى اللَّهِ وَسَلَّمْ بَيَّنَا أَنَّ دِينَهُ مُخَالِفٌ لِدِينِ الْمُشْرِكِينَ So the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم, he clarified that his religion, the religion of Islam, it is different and opposes the religion of the mushrikeen that they were upon in Jahiliyyah. Because the mushrikeen, they used to slaughter for other than the sake of Allah. The mushrikeen used to slaughter for other than the sake of Allah, seeking closeness to their other false deities. Whereas the Prophet ﷺ clarified and explained that this act of slaughtering, it is an act of worship that is done sincerely and purely for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone. Just as the Muslims, they do not pray to anyone other than Allah, then similarly we do not slaughter for anyone other than Allah, the slaughtering of the animals, the cows and the sheep that are done on the day of Eid and other than that. Then in the ayah it also says, وَمَحْيَايَ And my living, my living is also for the sake of Allah, my life is for the sake of Allah. That all of your life it is spent in worship and obedience to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this is in accordance to the objective and the very first narration that we mentioned in Kitab al-Tawheed, which was, The very first ayah that was mentioned in Kitab al-Tawheed 
وما خلقت الجن والانس الا ليعبدون that i did not create the jinn or the humans except for them to worship me so here it says wamahyaya am my living all of that is for allah meaning my life is for the worship of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala just as that initial ayah said that allah only created the jinn and the humans for his worship allah did not create the jinn or the humans except for his worship then also wamamati am my dying meaning all of that which occurs after death ma amutu alayhi that when a person dies he dies upon tawhid that you are saying your death is for allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that you die upon tawhid you die upon the religion of tawhid without associating any partners to allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so you're living and you're dying all of that is for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Rabbil alameen to the Lord of all of the creation. The one in control of all of the creation. The one who provides for all of the creation. The one who sustains all of the creation. Rabbil alameen. Indicating the rububiyyah. The lordship of Allah over all of his creation. Then after that. The ayah continues to say, وَبِذَٰلِكَ أُمِرْتُ And that is what I have been commanded with. That my prayer and my slaughtering and my living and my dying are all for the sake of Allah. That is what I have been commanded with. That's what the ayah says. وَبِذَٰلِكَ أُمِرْتُ That is what I have been commanded with. This indicates that worship is tawqifi. That worship is done purely upon the evidences. What is established in the Qur'an and the Sunnah for you to do, then that is what a person does in terms of worship. And a person does not innovate and bring about any worship of his own or invent something new. So all of these points that are mentioned, that my prayer is for Allah alone, my slaughtering is an act of worship purely for Allah alone, my living, my dying, all upon tawheed for Allah alone, why? Because that is what Allah commanded us with. That is the commandment from Allah, the obligation that is upon us. وَبِذَٰلِكَ أُمِرْتُ وَأَنَا أَوَّلُ الْمُسْلِمِينَ And I am the first of the Muslims. This is a relative statement. A relative statement. Because of course the Prophet ﷺ was not the first of the Muslims. Rather... There were believers and there were Muslims before the Prophet ﷺ and they were sincere upon Islam to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala too. But ana awwalul muslimin al-Islam huwa al-istislamu lillahi bit-tawheed. So here the Shaykh says that the Islam, it is to submit yourself to Allah with tawheed. So meaning here, the Prophet ﷺ is saying that I am the first of the Muslims from the Ummah now. Relatively speaking, at this time now, I am the first of the Muslims in that way. Whereas prior to that time, there were Muslims, there were believers. The Prophets and the Messengers and those believers who were with them, they existed. Then there is another ayah in the Qur'an which highlights that this act of slaughtering is indeed a worship. And that is something what most people will have memorized 
إِنَّا أَعْطَيْنَاكَ الْكَوْثَرْ فَصَلِّ لِرَبِّكَ وَانْحَرْ That indeed we have given you the kawthar, so pray to your Lord and slaughter for your Lord. Wanhar. Wanhar, it means slaughter. So here Allah is commanding the Prophet ﷺ again with the prayer and with slaughtering. Fasalli li rabbika. So pray to your Lord, sincerely to your Lord. Wanhar. Which is also the same as the previous part. One harli rabbika yani. And also slaughter for the sake of your Lord sincerely and purely. So these two ayat, they show that this act of slaughtering, it is an act of worship. A person when he slaughters, he slaughters an animal, a sheep for example, sincerely for the sake of Allah. He puts that slaughtering, for example, now on the day of Eid, Eid al-Adha, done sincerely with ikhlas to the uh, to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Not done seeking closeness to any other person, seeking closeness to any other of their false deities. Rather, it is an act of worship which is done for the sake of Allah as it is commanded in those two ayats that we have seen. Then there is another hadith. There is another hadith which mentions again that this act of slaughtering is indeed a worship to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that is the hadith of Ali ibn Abi Talib radiyallahu anhu qal Haddathani Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam bi arba'i kalimat That the Prophet sallallahu he told me four things. Ali ibn Abi Talib radiyallahu anhu says that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam told me four things. لَعَنَ اللَّهُ مَنْ ذَبَحَ لِغَيْرِ اللَّهِ Allah's curse is upon the one who slaughters for other than him, who slaughters for other than the sake of Allah. لَعَنَ اللَّهُ مَنْ لَعَنَ وَالِدَيْهِ And Allah curses the one, the curse of Allah is upon the one who curses his parents. لَعَنَ اللَّهُ مَنْ آوَى مُحْدِثَا and the curse of Allah upon the one who accommodates an innovator or innovation. And the curse of Allah upon the one who changes the boundaries of the earth. The curse of Allah upon the one who changes the boundaries of the earth. This is a hadith in Sahih Muslim. The opening part of this hadith makes it very clear again. That Allah's curse is upon the one who slaughters for other than the sake of Allah. Slaughters a sheep or a cow for other than the sake of Allah, than the curse of Allah upon that person. What does it mean the curse of Allah upon a person? That the person is removed and distanced from the mercy of Allah. That is the curse of Allah upon an individual. That that particular individual is distanced and removed from the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So the curse of Allah is upon the one who slaughters for other than the sake of Allah. Even if a person slaughters for the sake of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, or for the sake of an angel, then that is still an act which is impermissible, and it is an act that is not legislated in the Qur'an and the Sunnah, rather in the Qur'an and the Sunnah, it is to slaughter for the sake of Allah alone. So the hadith says, the curse of Allah is upon the one who slaughters for other than the sake of Allah.
How could that be? How could he slaughter for other than the sake of Allah? By mentioning other than Allah's name upon slaughtering it. Maybe he mentions someone else's name on purpose, not the name of Allah, so he's slaughtering for the sake of someone else. Or it could be that in his heart, his intention is that he's slaughtering for other than the sake of Allah. His intention is to seek closeness to such and such or to such and such deity. So either he may say the name of other than Allah upon slaughtering, or he may have it in his heart and his intention anyway that this slaughtering of his is for other than the sake of Allah. أَوْ يُرِيدُ بِهَذِهِ الضَّبِيحَةِ دَفْعُ شَرْءَ هَذَا الْمَذْبُحِ لَهُ Or it could be that a person is slaughtering for other than the sake of Allah, not because he loves this other thing, but because he fears this other thing. Maybe something from the jinn. He fears the harm of this particular jinn, so he slaughters and presents a slaughtering to that jinn. Maybe the jinn will leave him alone. So again now the slaughtering is being done for other than the sake of Allah. He's doing it for the sake of this jinn or whatever it may be, hoping that the uh, jinn or whatever it may be may leave him alone and the evil may be removed that is coming his way from that jinn. So again now he is slaughtering for other than the sake of Allah. Some may slaughter for other than the sake of Allah due to their love for these false deities. Others may slaughter for other than the sake of Allah due to their fear of these other affairs, the jinn or whatever it may be, hoping that by slaughtering for their sake and presenting this slaughtering to them, that they will be left alone and the evil will be uh, taken away from them. Or as the ignorant ones used to do the opposite, they would slaughter for something like the jinn or whatever, hoping that the jinn will bring them some good, (coughs) hoping that some good would be brought to them if they slaughtered for the sake of this jinn or whatever. So again, that is a slaughtering for other than the sake of Allah. Sometimes in ignorance, they would go and slaughter at the grave of someone who they claim is from the awliya of Allah, hoping that if they slaughter at the grave of this person for the sake of this person, then the rain would come down when they had a drought. So they would hope for that to occur. This was again something which is impermissible and slaughtering for other than the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So all of those acts that they did, they were slaughterings for other than the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Then it also mentions the second part of the hadith. لَعَنَ اللَّهُ مَنْ لَعَنَ وَالِدَيْهِ That Allah's curse is also upon the one who curses his parents. Notice here that after the first one, which was Allah's curse is upon the one who slaughters for other than the sake of Allah, that is an issue of what? That is an issue of tawheed and shirk. That is an issue of the rights of Allah. Slaughtering for other than the sake of Allah is an act of shirk. It is taking the rights of Allah. What is the next thing mentioned right next to the rights of Allah? The rights of the parents. And this the ulama, the scholars, they say it highlights to you, it highlights to you how great and important the rights of the parents are. And this is something you find in the Quran also. That in many places Allah mentions His own right regarding tawheed and a lack of shirk. 
and then very next to that is uh, in several places very next to that is mentioned the right of the parents so here the rights of the parents are mentioned an example of that in the Quran worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and do not commit any shirk then what's the next part of the ayah the very next part of the ayah وَبِالْوَالِدَيْنِ إِحْسَانًا And do the righteousness to the parents. So often the rights of the parents are put together next to, straight after, straight after the rights of Allah. So this indicates this connection, how great the rights of the parents are upon a person. As Shaykh Al-Fawzan says, the rights of the parents, they are always mentioned straight after the rights of Allah. And similarly, the prohibition to do any badness to the parents or any evil towards the parents is always mentioned straight after the prohibition to do any evil regarding Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. For example, in the hadith about the seven destructive sins. In the hadith about the seven destructive sins, اجتنبوا السبع المبقات when the Prophet ﷺ said, stay away from the seven destructive sins. The first of them mentioned is shirk and magic, etc. And then straight after that is the disobedience to parents. So again, that hadith highlights how the rights of the parents are put together with the rights of Allah directly after the rights of Allah. And that highlights how great and important the rights of the parents are. So it is not permissible, the Shaykh says, to abuse the parents or to speak ill to the parents, because indeed that would be from the major sins. It is from the major sins to speak ill towards the parents or to behave in a bad manner towards the parents or to uh, show bad mannerisms in any way or to not listen to the parents in something which is permissible. Of course, if they command you to do something which is against the religion, that's a different issue. Then you advise them and you tell them that you cannot do something which is against the religion. But if they are telling you something which is normal, then it is upon you to obey them. If they ask you to do some chores, they ask you to do something else, then it is upon you to fulfill the rights of your parents. So here it says that it is the curse of Allah. Upon the one who curses his parents. And the curse of Allah as we said meaning that the person is distanced from the mercy of Allah. The one who curses or abuses his own parents. Then the third section which is mentioned is. That the curse of Allah is also upon the one who accommodates an innovator. The one who accommodates and protects an innovator. And that is somebody who has committed a criminal act. Someone who has committed some type of criminal act, has committed some type of wrongdoing, and you were to shelter that person. Someone who has committed some wrongdoing, some criminal act, something incorrect and you shelter that person and protect him, when he has done this wrong and oppression, then you have committed an act which is impermissible, by sheltering and harboring this person who has done wrong, and this person who has transgressed, 
then it is not permissible for you to hide and conceal and shelter that person. Similarly, it also has another meaning, which is the one who accommodates man'awa muhdatha, innovation, whomsoever shelters and accommodates innovation. And that means somebody who is pleased with innovation, somebody who is content and happy with innovation, and he doesn't reject the innovation, even though he's able to reject that innovation, but he refuses and he does not do so, then it is as if he is accommodating that innovation. So if he sees an innovation and he remains silent upon it, وَلَمْ يَتَكَلَّمْ فِي إِنْكَارِهَا وَالْبَيَانِ لِلنَّاسِ أَنَّهَا بِدَعْ فَقَدْ آوَاهَا يَعْنِي حَمَاهَا بِسُخُوتِهِ وَتَرْكِهِ لَهَا So if a person sees an innovation and he does not, he does not speak out against it and he does not reject it and he does not clarify to the people regarding that this is an innovation, then he has accommodated that innovation, he has sheltered that innovation, and he has protected it by remaining silent upon it and leaving it as it is without speaking out against it. So that person is also then deserving of the curse. So what therefore of a person who goes even more than that? Not only does he shelter and accommodate and protect the innovations and stay silent upon them, but rather even more than that, he actually calls to them. What therefore of the person who actually calls to them? The fourth part which is mentioned in the narration, لَعَنَ اللَّهُ مَنْ غَيَّرَ مَنَارَ الْأَرْضَ Curse of Allah upon the one who changes the boundaries of the land. And this can have three possible meanings regarding changing the boundaries of the land. One of the meanings is changing the signs of the land, the signposts. For example, now in your gardens you have fences identifying and indicating your land from the land of your neighbor. Or a farmer has fences indicating where his land is compared to where the land of his next neighbor farmer is. A person who changes those boundaries intentionally, removes the fences further out so he can steal some of the land of his neighbor, then that is one of the meanings of this narration. Whoever changes the boundaries of the land, changes the signposts in order to steal additional land from his neighbors. That is one meaning. Another meaning of it is... Uh, أَعْلَامُ الْحَرَمُ الَّذِي يُحْرَمُ أَوْ يَحْرُمُ قَتْلُ سَيْدِهِ وَتَنْفِيرِهِ Changing the signposts of the haram area. The haram area around Al-Masjid Al-Nabawi and around the Al-Haram uh, uh, in Mecca, there is an area around those masajid, which is known as the haram area. It is not the whole of Medina or the whole of Mecca, but there is a particular area around those masajid which is known as the Haram area. And anybody who goes there now, you see the large signposts at the edges on the boundaries telling you this is the edge of the Haram area. Because within that designated area, which is mentioned in the Ahadith in Bukhari and elsewhere, where the area starts from in Medina, where it ends, the certain mountains that are mentioned, uh, names of them, Within that boundary of the haram area, 
there are certain acts which are impermissible to do, which would normally be permissible outside of that area. For example, it is impermissible to go hunting inside of the haram area. It is impermissible to remove the leaves of trees or bushes that naturally grow in the haram area. Any trees or bushes that naturally grow, any foliage, any vegetation, any bushes, any trees that naturally grow in the haram area, it's impermissible to remove, to take off the leaves from them. So there are certain acts that are impermissible to be carried out within the boundaries of the haram area. One of the meanings of this hadith is, that a person intentionally attempts to change the boundaries of the haram area, attempts to remove the signposts, etc., to add into that area or to remove from that area that which is from it or not from it. So changing the boundaries of the haram area, that is mentioned within this hadith also. The third thing which is mentioned is changing the actual physical signs of the land. A sign telling you that this city is that way, and that city is this way, 40 kilometers, 20 kilometers. Changing those signposts to confuse and to cause the people to become lost by changing the physical signposts of directions, etc. That is also considered, as some of the scholars they say, within this particular uh, narration. As Sheikh Al-Fawzan says that the strongest opinion is regarding the first one that you change the boundaries of the land so you can steal some land from your neighbor uh, uh, and changing the signposts of that so you can take extra garden, extra field from your neighbor, for example. And this occurs in some countries where they have fields and they have large areas that they own. Maybe they will dispute and they will try to steal land from their neighbors and claim it's theirs. So this hadith, it mentions that, that the curse of Allah is upon those curse of Allah is upon them, the ones who change the boundaries of the land. The final narration that we'll mention today is the hadith of Tariq ibn Shihab. The hadith of Tariq ibn Shihab. In this hadith it mentions Anna Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam قال دَخَلَ الْجَنَّةَ رَجُلٌ فِي ذُبَابٍ وَدَخَلَ النَّارَ رَجَلٌ فِي ذُبَابٍ A man entered paradise due to a fly. And a man entered hellfire due to a fly. A man entered paradise because of a fly. And a man entered hellfire because of a fly. قَالُوا كَيْفَ ذَلِكَ يَا رَسُولَ اللَّهِ وَكَيْفَ ذَلِكَ يَا رَسُولَ اللَّهِ They said, and how is that? How did that occur? How did that occur? How is that? How did a man enter paradise because of a fly? And how did a man enter hellfire because of a fly? The Prophet said that two people, they walked past a particular group of people, a tribe. This particular tribe, they used to live in a particular area. And the road that the travelers would use, it would pass through their village. There was a road that used to come from the distance and the travelers would come along this road. And the road at this particular point would go past their area. And then you had to go on that road past their area to carry on on your journey on the other side of the road. So when people got to the road, the section that went through their area, these people, 
They used to say to the people, we're not going to let you pass. You can't go through our area to the other side of the road to carry on. Until you slaughter something for our idol. They used to have an idol. So they used to say to people, we won't allow you to pass. Until you slaughter something for our idol, then you can go. So it's mentioned in this narration that there were these two men. And they got to this area and they were told, you cannot pass. They said to one of them, the people said to these two travelers, one of them, قرب. They said, slaughter something for our idol, give something. قال, the man said, I've got nothing, I've got no nothing to slaughter. I have nothing to be able to slaughter for this idol of yours. They said to him, slaughter anything, even a fly. Even a fly, just slaughter it for our idol and go. Even a fly. So he got a fly. And he slaughtered the fly for the sake of the idol. And they let him go. They said, okay. They said, oh, you've done it. You've slaughtered for our idol and they let him go. This man then, due to his action, in the hadith it says, He is the one who ends up in the hellfire. Why? Because he's now just slaughtered. Even though it's only a fly, he slaughtered that fly for the sake of the idol. Slaughtered this fly for the sake of their idol to get past. So he will enter hellfire for that action. Then they said to the other man, the other man was left now, one done it, he's gone. They said to the other man, قَالُوا لِلْآخِرِ قَرِّبْ You slaughter something. قَالَ فَقَالَ مَا كُنْتُ لِأُقَرِّبَ He said, I would never slaughter anything لِأَحَدٍ شَيْئًا دُونَ اللَّهِ عَزَّ وَجَلْ He said, I would never slaughter anything for anyone besides Allah. فَضَرَبُوا عُنُقَهِ So, they killed him. ضَرَبُوا عُنُقَهُ They hit his neck, i.e. they chopped his neck off and they killed him. Because he refused to slaughter for their idol. So this individual, the hadith says, دَخَلَ الْجَنَّةِ He is the one who lent to paradise because he refused to commit shirk and slaughter even a fly for other than the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That narration tells you again the importance of slaughtering for the sake of Allah. And the great danger if somebody was to commit this act for other than the sake of Allah, even a fly. The man slaughtered a fly for other than the sake of Allah and he enters hellfire. This narration, some of the scholars, however, you should be aware, have mentioned, some of the scholars mentioned that there may be some weakness in this narration. Others have mentioned it is authentic as mawquf, meaning from Salman al-Farisi. That this narration is mentioned from Salman al-Farisi as authentic. Uh, and some of them have said that it is not just up to Salman al-Farisi who mentioned this story. It is actually that he took this story from the Prophet So there's a bit of a debate regarding the hadith itself. But nevertheless, the meaning is correct. The meaning of the hadith is correct. Slaughtering for other than the sake of Allah, even a fly, that is shirk. And not doing it is tawheed. So the meaning of the hadith, no doubt it is correct. So that is what's mentioned in that story or in that hadith regarding... Slaughtering for other than the sake of Allah. Next lesson, we'll start with the next chapter, which is still carrying on with this topic of slaughtering. But it will be about slaughtering in a place where slaughtering is done for other than the sake of Allah. There is a particular place where people, mushrikeen, etc., slaughter for other than the sake of Allah. If you go and slaughter in that same place, what is the ruling? 
So now it's going to talk about this issue of slaughtering in a bit more detail. And it's also going to mention the story of Masjid al-Dirar, the masjid that the munafiqeen built at the time of the Prophet ﷺ. There was a masjid that the hypocrites built as a plan to attack Islam. And that story will be mentioned next week as well, inshaAllah ta'ala. So that's where we'll conclude today.